God created us on purpose and for a purpose. Uh, You are not here by accident. God has a design and a plan for you and for your life. He has shaped you, formed you, created you. He has molded you and is in the process of molding you into His image. He, he gave you the personality that He's given you so that you would fit. You say, well, I don't feel like I fit, but you do within the picture of a body. Now, sometimes sin and the world and bad choices keep us from fulfilling the purpose that God has for us. And when that happens, we don't function real well. Well, God took you and you were all twisted up and you were bent out of shape. And when God saved you, He put you to function in the way that you're supposed to function. You are His workmanship, created to do good works, to find fulfillment in living out the purpose that God has for your life. One of the best-selling books of recent years and one of the best-selling books of all time is The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And his opening statement in that book is, it's not about you. What it is about is about you finding your purpose and that purpose driving your life. And when you find your purpose in life, then you find fulfillment. Colossians 1.9, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, we talked about last week that this prayer is a pastor's prayer for a church. It's also a parents prayer for their children, how to pray for your children to to fulfill the purpose that God has for them. It's also a personal prayer. How do you pray for yourself that you will understand all those things that Paul is talking about? Now, this particular prayer is one sentence in the Greek. In the original languages, it's not broken up into verses. This is just Paul is writing and he's piling word upon word and and thought upon thought. And it's like he's just going through the thesaurus and grabbing everything he can to help him explain what it is that he wants to see happen in the lives of these believers. Here's what Paul understood. The reputation of Jesus Christ is wrapped up in how we live. How people think of Jesus is wrapped up in what they see of Jesus in us, or don't see. In in other words, if I live and act and respond the same way the world does, then I'm not revealing to the world that I found a purpose in Christ and that Christ has made a difference in me, that the Christian life is not just a past decision, it's a past decision with present results and present evidence. Now, Paul says, we've not ceased 
He's on a mission. He's praying for these people. We've not ceased. And who's he talking about? Well, the we is Paul and Epaphras and Timothy. They have partnered together. There's this imperative on their life that, that these people live up to their calling, that they be fulfilled in their life, that there be the joy and the completeness of life in Christ, that, that they understand all that God has given them in Christ Jesus. And so he is praying to God that this will work out in these folks' lives. Now, if you, if you read this first chapter of Colossians, these people had obviously experienced the grace of God, but what they needed to know was the will of God. How do I know and walk in God's will? And and so specifically, let's just look quickly at chapter 1 and verse 9. That you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. Chapter 2 and verse 2. The true knowledge of God's mystery. So He wants them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and the true knowledge of God's mystery. And then if you look at chapter 3 and verse 10, renewed to a true knowledge. Now, God wants us to know how to live. It's not not some secret. It's not under a rock somewhere. God wants us to know how to live in his will. He has a design and a purpose and a plan for your life and for my life. And he wants us to know that will and to walk in it. You see, you can know the grace of God and say, you know, Jesus saves. We sang about it this morning. And I know that Jesus saves, but then spend decades of your life trying to figure out what does that mean for me? I know what it means for preachers and for missionaries and for people that are teaching Sunday school, but what does that mean for me? How do I fit into all of that? And so Paul is praying that they will know the will of God and that God's will would be expressed in their lives. So there's three things that I want you to see. First of all, is finding your purpose in Christ. Finding your purpose in Christ. There are some great days in your life. Uh, The day that you're born. It was a great day for your parents, the day that you were born. But the greatest day of your life is the day that you find out why you were born, why you're here. You see, because I am adopted and I do not know who my real birth parents are, the greatest day to me is not the day I was born because I don't know if I was born out of love or lust. I know that I was born to a single mom who had an affair. That's all I know. But the greatest day for me is not my physical birthday. It's the day when I came to understand that God left me on this earth for a reason. And he gave me a purpose. And it wasn't just to be a preacher, but it was to be his child, accepted in the beloved, called and loved and forgiven by a heavenly father who loved me unconditionally. I can't do anything about what happened prior to my birth, but I can do something about what happened with my new birth. And so God has called us to find purpose, to to understand that our life is to make a difference. And I know what you can think. You think, man, I live in Leesburg. I live in Smithville. I live in Albany. I live in Sylvester. I live in Dawson. You know, I mean, we, we don't have 
pavement on the road I live on. And, uh, you know, they have to pump sunshine in three days a week just to get light down our way. Uh, you, you can think all that, but God saved you to make a difference. Amen. God created you to make a difference. See, God's got a purpose for you. And someday they're going to write a message on your tombstone, and it's going to be a summary statement of your life. Either something that you said you wanted there, or something that somebody decided to put there. In the 1920s, somebody bet Ernest Hemingway that he could not write a complete story in six words. Hemingway sat down and wrote, for sale, baby shoes, never worn, and he won the bet. Because you can read, for sale, baby shoes, never worn, and tell a story. And so Smith Magazine, not long ago, did a survey of writers, and it's now in a book, not quite what I was planning, six-word memories of writers famous and obscure, and they're going to come up on the screen. I want you to see what some of these people came up, the six words to define their lives. And by the way, here's your homework. Come up with six words to define your life. What six words would you say, if you only had six words left, what would they be to define your life in Christ? So here's some of them. Heather Thompson said, head in books, feet in flowers. Ray Kemp, trust me, I did my best. Steve McMullen, married childhood sweetheart, two kids, content. Richard Rabone, worry about tomorrow, rarely enjoy today. Gillian Johnson, four weddings, three kids, then cancer. Dave Nicholson wrote, not quite finished, tell you later. The next guy you wouldn't want to take to dinner, his was bored, so bored, so very bored. I like the last one. Gillian Smealy said, ditched the map, found better route. Now, let's just say Jesus and Paul would have had to define themselves in six words. Maybe Jesus would have said something like this, to seek and save the lost. That's a summary statement of the life of Jesus. Or John 10.10, 10, to give abundant life to all. Now, how would Paul, the apostle, greatest Christian that ever lived, how would Paul the Apostle maybe define his life in six words? Maybe it's something like this, tough fight, long race, won both. That's a great testimony. That's a great six-word statement. Peter might have said this, took chances, failed often, experienced power. Maybe King David would have thought of his psalm in Psalm 23, the Lord is all I need. And, and so, what are the three keys to finding purpose in your life? Let me give them to you. You can't be fulfilled until you're filled. You can't be fulfilled until you're filled. Now, every one of us has the Holy Spirit in us, but we are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, that you may be filled experientially. 
Not watch other people who are filled with the Spirit, but that you might be filled with the Spirit. Paul is writing to a church corporately, and he says to this church, there ought to be evidence when you gather together in the church that you are all filled. Not some trying to figure out what that means, but that you're all filled. Why? Because you're all obeying the command. Not only that you are filled, but you can't be fulfilled until you are filled with the knowledge of God's will. You got to know your purpose. You got to know why you're here. You, you see, Paul says that, that you'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That's epinosis is the Greek word, full knowledge, complete knowledge that I know that I know what God has for me. I'm not confused. I'm not conflicted. I'm not here one day and, and there the next. I, I don't think God's leading me to do this today and tomorrow it's something totally different and the next day it's something beyond that. Uh, you know, I'm on a path. Uh, I have a sense of direction. His will has replaced my will. Thirdly, you can't be fulfilled until you're filled with wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding. Now, all of us know people with college degrees that don't have any common sense, right? Amen. I mean, you know, you, you, you can see people that, you know, they, they, they may have great intelligence, but when they go to the pump to get gas, they like go, where's the button? Push enter. Where's enter? What does enter look like? Zip code, I don't know my zip code. What's my zip code? Why do I have to enter my zip code to get gas? And they're just confused. I, I, if you want to watch something funny, go to one of those grocery stores where they have the self-checkout lane. <laughs> I mean, have you ever watched that? I mean, I mean, we're an educated country. And you see people drive up in nice cars. I mean... Nice SUVs, nice vans, nice cars, and they get, the, they get to the self-checkout. I said, man, I'm going to do this. This is quick. And they go. And there's this thing. Now, they've gone to lines before, and there's always this little glass thing, and scan and beep, and they, and they, just, they just look at it. And then they start looking around like a puppy on the side of the road for a manager or a stock boy or anybody. Could you help me, please? Why? They, they just can't figure out something simple. And, and, and they don't scan, and they keep going, well, it didn't beep. And then and it's just crazy. You see, it's not just wisdom. It's understanding what to do with the wisdom that you have. You can have a head full of Bible knowledge and not make it work itself out in your daily living. Paul is not saying that we are to be walking encyclopedias of the Bible. We are to be walking pictures of what God does in people who have read their Bible. Amen. And so Paul is trying to point us to this life that soaks up like a sponge what God's will is and God's wisdom. And then when our lives are wrung out, it's like rivers of living water flowing out of us. You see, God's, God's trying to get in us so he can get through us and out of us so that people see that we are walking fulfillments of spiritual wisdom. Now, man can be wise in his own eyes. 
and not be wise. In fact, one of the things that I would suggest that you do, I, I was talking to uh, somebody this week, and, and he said, this particular man, when he was a little boy, now this just dates back to how long ago this was. When he was a little boy, his dad, during the Great Depression, said, son, I will give you a quarter every month if you read a chapter of Proverbs every month. And he said, you know, a quarter in the Great Depression was a lot of money. And he said, for 40 years, I've read a chapter in Proverbs every day, and it's changed my life. Why? Because Proverbs talks about the wise and the foolish. And if you want to raise your kids to have wisdom, help them to know the importance of reading Proverbs on a consistent basis. Because Proverbs tells us how not to fall into the traps of the world when so-called wise people tell us to make unwise decisions. In fact, Paul uses the word wisdom six times in Colossians and understanding two times. You see, he's saying, when I have wisdom and understanding, then when I'm in life and life is squeezing me and, and pressuring me and I'm not sure what to do, the truth comes out and I know how to live. So it's not only finding my purpose, but finding my path. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk, there's a sense of direction, not wandering around. You ever, go, you ever go to the mall and see these people walking around the mall? And some of them walk faster than others, right? Some of them meander. I'm going to the mall to walk. Oh, look, a sale. I'm going to walk. Oh, Chick-fil-A. I'm going to the mall to walk. Ooh, 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 ooh. And they just keep, they're not walking with a sense of purpose and direction. But then you can go to the mall and you can see these people walking. And I mean, they're just getting it. They're just like this. Hey, how you doing? Fine. And, they're, and, and they're, I mean, they're moving. Why? They've got a purpose in mind. They're exercising. They're trying to accomplish something. And so we're to walk a path, not to wander around in this fog, but to walk in a sense of direction. You see, the word leads to a walk. When I'm in the word, it will lead to the way that I walk and the way that I think. And so God's word leads us to a walk. And, and you've met people and I've met people that, that are, are deep. I mean, you know, if, if you say, hey, uh, let's get together and, and discuss the deep things of God, but they're not wide. Remember that old song where you sing deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. You see deep without width, just as a dark hole. Amen. You got to spread out. The depth of what God is doing in you ought to widen your influence in how your life impacts and affects others. And first of all, it obviously begins in your family, but then it expands beyond that. And so God is trying to get us on a path. Jesus walked among people. The Pharisees just stayed and tried to figure out the traditions and add one more rule to the rule book so they could constantly revise it. I love this quote by Warren Wiersbe. It's in your notes. I won't read it all, but I want you to see the first sentence. Two words summarize the practicality of the Christian life. Walk and work. You're to walk and you're to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You are created in Christ Jesus for good works 
Not to be saved, but because you have been saved. And so there's a purpose, there's a path, and then I find my pleasure in Christ. To please Him, Paul says, in all respects. Now let me just give you a little exercise here. When you get up in the morning, just get up and, and you don't even have to have a cup of coffee to say this. Okay? Just when you get up in the morning, when your feet hit the floor, by the way, you can never fight the battle of the sheets under the sheets. Your feet have to get up and hit the floor. When your feet hit the floor, just simply pray this Lord, I want to walk today and please you today. I want to walk with you. I want to please you today. So when you just get up, just say, Lord, that's what I want to do. And I'm going to need your help to do that. And then when you get to the end of the day, as you lay your head down on your pillow, just pray this simple prayer. Lord, is there anything I did today that didn't please you? Because I want to fix that. Now, what that does is it makes you keep short accounts. Because you just don't let something drag on and on and on. Because the Lord will say, you know, you could have been a little better there. You could have been a little nicer there. You could have done this a little differently. And and he'll begin to work on you. Why? Because you were beginning and ending your day with one thought. How do I please God today? Now, pleasing God has to do with spending time with him, but it also has to do with how you treat other people. I mean, pleasing God is... You know, there are lost people that are nice. There's no excuse for saved people not to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. And so our witness to this world is what happens when things don't go like they should. It's how you treat the waitress that brings you the wrong order. When you really want to say one thing, but you need to say something else. It's the conversations at the table that are going on. You see, we are to live in a way that pleases God. Now, I've got two labs. They're both ADD, DDD, D, DD. John Spencer's trying to give away dogs. Never take a dog from a staff member. I got one from Garrett and Tracy. They assured me it was going to be a sweet dog. And it is. It's a very sweet dog. But I can never wear clean clothes down to feed it. Because she insists on being right here. But they are trained. I had somebody train them. And so I can get them to stop doing things that they're not supposed to be doing. Because to them, I'm the alpha male. That's because I hold the treats in my hand. (laughs) And so yesterday, I went down and I had some dog treats. And and I put one here and one here. And the dog's faces were right here at this line. And I'm right back here and I've got dog treats in my hand. I said, sit. And they sit and then they look at me. Of course, then slobber starts kind of running you know, down the side of their mouth. They start foaming a little bit. And I started walking toward them 
and walking toward them. And I never have to say sit but one time because they've been trained. That's what you do. And I got right here and I held those treats this far from their face and I held them there and I counted off in my head to 30. And then I said, get it. They took them. Now, you know why they sat there? Well, they were going to get a treat. But but they sat there because dogs, by their very nature, want to please their owner. That's their nature. They want to please, especially labs want to please. And so they sat there because they knew where there was a prize in store. You see, why is it that a dog wants to please its owner, but sometimes we forget that we're to live to please our Lord? We're to live to please Him. And so, how do I find my purpose and how do I live a life that pleases God? First of all, by bearing fruit. By bearing fruit. The Scripture says to bear fruit, Paul's writing to them, in every good work. In every good work. Now, what that means is, in the Greek, in every good work. What it means is, is that God doesn't want us to grade ourselves on a curve. And God does not want us to say, well, I'm doing pretty good in some areas. I can just let these other areas slide. Paul is saying, as you pray for yourself and as you pray for others and as you please God that in every area of your life, you want to be pleasing to God. It's not that you're doing really good up here and and doing bad down here. I, I, I remember when I brought my first college report card home to my parents. I was very convinced that pointing out the A's and B's would offset the lecture on how much they paid for those classes with the C's and the <clears throat> F. Uh, <laughs> I thought, hey, not everybody gets an A in PE, okay? Give me a break. You see, we're to please him in in every respect. Let let me just give you some scripture. They're going to come up on the screen. The main thing I want you to get is the references, but I'm going to read them to you. Matthew 3 and verse 8, bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. Matthew 7, 18, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Luke 6, 44, each tree is known by its own fruit. Luke 8 and verse 14, The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones that have heard. And as they go on their own way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. John 15, 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So what is fruit? Fruit is the outward expression of the inward nature. When God's Word talks about bearing fruit... He's talking about the outward expression of God in your life that reflects the inward nature of God in your life. 
It's the outward expression of the inward nature. It's the works that give evidence of our faith. It is the external evidence that something's going on inside of you. So there's bearing fruit. There's walking in his wisdom, increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, remember, he's prayed that they would know the will of God. Now he's praying that they would increase in the knowledge of God. This is a reference to intimacy. God wants you not just to know his will. He wants you to know him and to be intimately acquainted with him, to know his heart, to know his mind, to walk in his way, to know God is to love God. And so he wants this intimate relationship. First John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now, the great thing about 1 John 1, 7 is he says we're to walk in the light, not according to the light. See, religion makes you walk according to rules. Walking in the light as he is in the light makes you walk in a relationship with Christ. You can walk according to rules and not know the rule giver. But a relationship is in Christ, in the light that God has given you. Now here's the thing. God has given you enough light for the next step. And if you don't know what to do, go back and see if you're doing what's already been told to you to do. That's how you stay in the light. You don't go ahead of the light. And we live our lives, we want to know everything. You know, we want to know if I put my money in this account, is it going to bear interest? Not in this economy. But you, we want, I mean, we want to know everything. You know, I, I mean, when a girl's 13 years old, who am I going to marry? Probably not the guy you're looking at right now. You, you know, what, what, where am I going to live? What's going to happen to me? How long am I going to live? How many kids am I going to have? God doesn't show us light all the way to the end because to be honest with you, if he did, you'd be scared to death. God shows you enough light for you to take the next step. And that's all the light you need. You just need enough light to take one step at a time. Not to step ahead of him, because then you're going to get into darkness. Not to fall behind him, but to stay in the light. And so God has given us this ability to, to bear fruit and to walk in wisdom and then to stand in his strength. Strengthened with all power, he says. Strengthened with all power to stand in his strength according to his glorious might. Now, there's two things here that I want you to see. Strengthened with all power. Now, why does God give us power? So we can be superheroes? No. Here it is right here before you. Look at that word all. That's the extent of his power. Do you realize that God has given you all the power you need? Now, you may not be plugged in, but the power is there. The extent of his power, and then there's the expression of power, his glorious might. His glorious might. God has given you power. The power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. When you can't, he can. When it seems impossible to you, he makes it possible. God has given the strength needed for everything that you face. Difficult people difficult circumstances, whatever it is, how do you handle the daily grind of life? Because after all, most of us 
know that in the crisis, in the catastrophe, God gives us strength to handle the crisis. I mean, we just sent it. You, you talk about it in, in a death or a loss or in a financial setback. You say, man, I just knew God was there with me. But I tell you where we lose it. It's in the daily wear and tear of life. We forget that the same power is available to us. The same grace is available to us. When, when things don't go our way, when, when that person that just gets on your last nerve shows up at your house, when, 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 the, when the situation just goes a little sour or a little south, when little things just begin to eat at you and wear at you, and it seems like God has sent every gnat in southwest Georgia to fly around your head, God says, I've got all power for you to deal with that. And you're strengthened according to his might. All the strength comes from him. You don't have to work it up. You have to let it out. All the strength is inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And you need to let God do his work in you. And so let me give you three places where that power is evident. First of all, it's the power of endurance. The power of endurance, regardless of circumstances. And some days, quite honestly, that power is just the power to get up and to get going. It's not the power that you don't get up and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. You're just saying, God, I'm up. And if it wasn't for you, I'd go back to bed but I've got the power to endure this day. Secondly, it's the power of patience. The power of patience, restraining those fleshly reactions. God gives you the power of patience. Now, you know this, and I don't have to tell you this because you're good enough students of the Word, but don't pray for patience. Because if you pray for patience, God's going to send trials. Just decide to be patient. Amen. It's a lot easier that way. The power to endure, the power of patience, and the power of joy. The power of joy. James said, count it all joy. Williams translates it, have joyful endurance. These may not be the best days of your life, but you can joyfully endure. You can hold on with the joy of knowing that whatever you're going through, this is the worst it's ever going to be because the best is yet to come. Amen. The best is ahead of us as believers, not behind us. Now, I've got a thought I want you to hang on, and then I've got one more illustration I want you to kind of get in your head. There's one thing that we cannot imitate. We cannot imitate being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's one thing you can't imitate. You can put a smile on your face and Stand out, talk to everybody in the atrium and say, man, I'm just doing great. I'm just doing great. And your family look at you and say, who's he lying to now? 
One thing you can't imitate is being filled with the Holy Spirit because you don't produce that. You just cooperate with it. That's why you got to get up every morning and say, Lord, I want to please you. Well, I can't please you on my own because I really don't want to please anybody but myself today. So I want to please you. Uh, you ever go to these places? Uh, we, we go to places often. We went to a new restaurant in uh, Gatlinburg. Man, food was great. And so they come to the table and, and they set a card down and said, this is a comic card. If you wouldn't mind filling this out, my name is so-and-so. And if you wouldn't mind filling this out, you can either leave it uh, with the bill. Now, my comment was, that's expensive turkey. Uh, but uh, uh, if you wouldn't mind leaving this and giving us your comments about our service, because we, we want to do a good job. Well, let me get you to fill out today a personal comment card. Not a comment on how you thought the singing was today or how you thought the preaching was today or anything else, but a comment on your life right now as it relates to finding fulfillment in Christ. So as it relates to finding fulfillment in Christ, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate yourself today that you're fulfilled on a scale of 1 to 10, on walking in the will of God, how, how are you doing today? On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being at the top. On a scale of 1 to 10, how, how are you enduring life? Are you, are you walking in wisdom? Do you know God's purpose for your life? Because you see, God's purpose is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And that person gives you the power to live at 10. Amen. So why would you want to settle for being a three or a four when everything you need is already inside you in the person of the Holy Spirit to live at the highest possible level? On your own personal comment card, how are you doing? Not your wife, not your kids, not other people in your Sunday school class. You're not measuring yourself by them, but by what God has said that Paul prayed for them. How are you doing on that? Say, well, I'm at an eight. Are you moving toward a 10? Or are you backing away and moving back toward a four or five or six? Are you living at the highest level? Or are you living at a level of mediocrity? And so the invitation is, what are you going to do about that? Some of you can't fill out a comment card today because, quite honestly, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you're trying to figure out life on your own, and I can tell you that is very, very frustrating. Amen. And you need to find a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And when we do, I'm going to ask you to step out from wherever you are and to find one of our ministers and say, I need to be saved today. I need to give my life to Jesus Christ today. Some of you are going to be very honest today, and you're going to say, you know, right now I'm at about a two or a three. You know, if I lie, I can get to a four or a five. But it's just your card. You're the only one that's going to see it. 
So if you're not at a 10, are you going to do anything different today in light of this message, in light of it being in this worship service, in light of the prayer that Paul prayed? Are you going to do anything different? Are you going to do something about it today? That's why these altars are open for you. I want to ask you to stand, and I'm going to pray. And even as I pray, I'm going to invite you to begin coming and finding one of these men. There'll be people here at the altar to pray with you and to pray for you. But I'm going to ask you to step out and come, even as I pray and as we begin this invitation, that you would find that relationship with Christ that you need and that you want.